Welcome to the Paper Talk podcast, where we have candid conversations with emerging artists and industry leaders about all things paper flowers. Through this podcast, we hope to continue to share knowledge, connect all of us together, and elevate the artistry of each and every one of us. Hello, I'm Quinn Wen. I'm Jesse Chu. I'm Priscilla Park. Our mission is to share, connect, and elevate the paper floral industry. We are some of the voices behind the Paper Floors Collective. Welcome to our podcast, Paper Talk. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number 29. We have a special guest with us today, Kristen Rass. She is an amazing Seattleite, uh, local to my particular part of the country of Seattle, Washington. And Kristen, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Welcome. Thanks. So one of the things that we want to talk about, I think the one of the most important thing is that you're known for the amazing craft show that you put up in the Pacific Northwest, Urban Craft Uprising. Can you tell us more about who you are, what this craft show is all about? And I mean, you have have hundreds and hundreds of vendors that's actually applied and accepted. And you've been doing this for quite a number of years. Yeah. Well, I had a shop schmancy, as you know. And in 2008, the crash happened and I was really struggling to pay for my life, like just eat food. I was like rationing out my food for like, basically I'd have one meal a day and kind of was like, oh, should I like stop doing my store? Because it was toys and just frivolous at the time, probably thing to purchase. And so I was just really having a hard time. So my friend Moxie, who was the president of Urban Craft at the time, sent me a description for the PR marketing position. And I thought she was sending it to me because she wanted me to apply for the job. And then it turned out that she just thought I was too busy and would just like know someone that was interested. But I was like, oh, I could do this job. I do it for my store. And so... I applied and did that. But I've been a maker since... I mean, I think I've done craft shows for 25 years. Sadly, I don't really anymore. I haven't for a lot of years now. I've always loved the craft community and I've gone to a lot of schools and done various education stuff, but it never really fueled me like the craft world. And I feel really fortunate (laughs) that I managed to have a job now full time with that. So I had, I applied for that job and got it. And then as things shifted and people moved around or quit, then it became just me and Lindsay. And so now I'm the president. It's been the two of us for quite some time. We have like amazing helpers. But I think, you know, we're definitely at a time where we're like, okay, we need to hire. So we have some people now in place, which is great. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you do? Yeah, exactly. For Urban Craft. So, I mean, it's, there used to be four of us when I started and now there's two of us. So we kind of have absolved a lot of different jobs. So I do vendor relations. I do our Instagram account. I do, luckily we now have a marketing team that we hire for, but I used to do that. I like primarily am also the person that like goes to all the meetings to like get more work. So we do, when I started, we there was only one show with Urban Craft the winter show. And then I was like, why don't we do a summer show? So then that started kind of like as I started. And then it was a while of just having two shows, which is very manageable, quite honestly. Now. <laughs> um, and then Actually, before you continue yeah. on, I wanted to tell the listener what Urban Craft Uprising is all about. Can you tell us in a few sentences what if you were doing, you know, marketing piece, what is Urban Craft Uprising? Urban Craft is an event, but it also has morphed into a lot of other things. So I feel like we're organizers that give opportunities to people at various levels of their business small business to build a business. So we have over 30 events a year.
year now, we work with different organizations and community chambers of commerce and stuff like that to put on different events. And then we also do like a camp. So we have Camp Thundercraft and that's once a year and that's for makers. And it's like hands down one of my favorite things to do. I've been wanting to go to that camp, but I just, the timing has never worked it's out for really me. It's really fun. It's like when we started, I was like, I wanted to be like camp, like when you were a kid and you like cry when you leave because, you know, you don't want to go. And it's totally like that. Like I get teary every time. And it's just like a feel good situation. And it's really been cool to watch because it's a three day camp. So we have the first day is more like, you know, getting to know you kind of activities. And we have a keynote speaker and stuff like that. And then Saturday and Sunday are all classes. So we have like on Saturday, three different sessions and there's four classes in session. So there's three educational classes and one craft class. And then on Sunday, there's two sessions with about three offerings. So, you know, if you're more of an introvert and need a little more downtime, you can take a craft class. You don't have to take any classes. You know, if you don't want to last um, this year, to when the women from the pantry in Seattle, they came and they have a huge thing going on. And so they were like, we don't really need the business stuff, but we want to do all the craft stuff. So it's super cool that they came and we've had, you know, really great speakers and instructors. And it's just, everyone's like gets excited. And it's like the first year, I think four campers quit their day jobs and went on to do their, you know, craft as their business. So that was really cool. And a lot of so do you teach like business to get people ready to launch their own business or do you focus mainly on crafts and things like that? It's mostly business stuff. So it really varies from what type we try to have like offerings for different levels that one would be like people that get into urban craft and are kind of farther along on their craft life journey. And then people that are just like, I have an idea. So, you know, this next year we have one, Jennifer is coming from Sasquatch publishing. She's now the editor and she is coming to do a class on publishing. And then at the end, you can pitch book ideas to her. And then we have bookkeeping. Me and Lindsay always do one about craft show vending and applying and all that stuff. We have had everything from like, you know, doing Instagram and then things more like monetizing what you define of that. It's like a lot of different things. And we've had Robert Mahar that was on Making It. Mm -hmm. and He came last year or this year and he was our keynote speaker and he liked it so much. He's coming back next year. That's awesome. And then you applied for that show too, didn't you? No, I was not. It Like I started to, because I got an email that was like, would you like to apply? And so I started to, but the application was crazy. And then I started filling it all out. And then I didn't have some of the stuff that they needed. So I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, I'll finish it later. And then it was like disappeared. And I was like, I'm not doing this. But I mean, now that I've watched the season and I'm just very glad. <laughs> <laughs> so if anybody doesn't know, this is the making it show that Amy, Amy Puller and Nick, they were putting together all these different crafts and there was like obstacles and a whole bunch of different types of projects that you had to make. Yeah. I think it would have been really, really, I want to do that for the paper floral community. Just doing, yes. Or or actually, yes, we were talking about a hosting one. So I think that would be really fun. With three materials. (laughs) Yes. 
That would be hilarious. I already got a few sponsors that committed to it, interested to see if I can make this happen. So, <laughs> so fun. But let's go back to the Urban Craft Uprising because I feel like that is your backbone of your particular business. And you do it summer and winter, which is amazing because you don't understand how huge this particular show is. You have hundreds of people lining outside before it even opens. And because one of the draws of getting there early is getting the swag bag. <laughs> and that is like each of the vendors, they do an offering and then you put them in the bags. And the first, would you say 50 or 100 people? It's 100. It's 100. So the first 100 people that lines up, they get these amazing swag bags from the vendors itself. So you get like full size items and it's just amazing. And it's just a great way to drive up hype. Mm-hmm. And the vendors that you've actually picked for these shows are just amazing. I mean, you ha- not only are it just local, but you have it nationally too. How have you been able to draw all these amazing vendors to come to the show? I mean, it sounds weird, but I feel like it's because we're vendors too and we know the vendor experience. And so we really focus on the vendor experience. And while obviously customers are very important to making a show happen, but I feel like we are really supportive of vendors. So we have a really good reputation. So I feel like we have a lot of like urban craft ambassadors that are like, oh, every, you know, a lot of these vendors do the whole craft show circuit and go to a lot of different shows. So they're like, oh, we're always telling people that like you guys are the best show to do. And I think we're lucky to be in a place that is really supportive to our show and our vendors. But I think we try really hard to to educate fans about why they're spending the money that they are. And, you know, we do extra things. Like we have a happy hour after the event on Saturday. And it's just a way for vendors to connect because it's kind of like a family reunion in a lot of ways, you know? So I think Mm -hmm. we do a lot of extra little things that make vendors, even if it was like a slower show, you know, the summer show is always a slower show, Mm -hmm. always somehow seems to shock vendors. And I'm like, (laughs) not the holidays. So therefore it's not going to be as busy. But I feel like I always stress at the summer show. I'm like a nervous wreck. And so I always like, it's like really nice to hear from vendors too that are like, it maybe wasn't as busy as I expected it to be, but like the whole experience is so positive and you just have such a like, you know, vendor positivity vibe that like, it you gain so much more from it besides just like the financial part of it. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like that's why we have vendors that try, or, you know, come and or try to come from all over the country. Mm-hmm. And so particularly for our community, it's a relatively new industry, the paper floral. Mm-hmm. When would you say a vendor is ready to go to a craft show? What do you look for in a vendor? Well, so we do about 30 events a year. So some of our events, I like to think of like we do first Thursday. And that's in Occidental Park in Seattle. And that's like a more, it's a monthly thing from April through October. And I, I mean, that's one of the places I started vending when I moved to Seattle. I mean, it was a totally different, it was kind of a throwdown situation when I did it. But now we obviously, it's organized and, you know, boosts are marked and stuff like that. So that to me is like a great place for someone that's starting a little bit more. I mean, we have all levels of people there, but... Is it for the full day or is it just a couple of hours? Yeah, it's a full day. Well, you can choose. So it it has been in the past where you apply, you can apply to do a half day or full day. Most people like doing the full day because you're there. You might as well be there the whole day. It is a long day if you do the full day, but it starts at 11 and it goes until eight o'clock at night if you do it the full day. And then if you're a half day or... We start at three, I think, and go till eight. So, I mean, and it, 
you know, every month is different. Like some people are like, you know, one year April was like beautiful out. It was like the first really nice day here. And some people are like, that was my best one. And then really probably depends on like, you know, games because it's so close to the stadium and weather, obviously. But I really, I love that event. I think it's so fun. And I think it's like a really good place for all different like people in different like parts Mm -hmm. of their career. And I feel, you know, there's the Seattle Art Fair. Unfortunately, I don't think it's going to be following the same year next year, but that was opened the day on Thursday. So there were a lot of like fancy pants people walking around that going to galleries and looking at expensive work. And then they come to our event and it's like, oh, I can actually afford things, even if they probably can't afford things. That <laughs> but um, I feel like that's a good place to start. So I feel like, you know, when I talk to vendor, like people that want to be vendors, I always tell them like a lot of people are like, oh, you know, my friend told me that I would be a great fit for urban craft with Without, like really maybe know it like I'm like okay that's cool but like your friend doesn't work with us so you know they might not know the total range of what we get and all the like weird things that we have to do to make a show happen and like feel like there's variety and blah blah blah, blah, blah. I also think some vendors like you know some we've had more new people and if you're like emailing me asking me what price point you should charge for your work you probably shouldn't be like at our summer winter show yet and like do some of the smaller events I did many small events I've done like house shows street fairs I've traveled across the country for shows and every time you do that stuff you learn things so like to me doing urban craft or something like that if you've never done a show before it's like being in elementary school and then trying to like apply for like ivy league college you know what i mean so i think there's some great things to learn in between so i feel like doing some smaller events like figuring out your system of setup i have like a container that has like all the stuff that i need for craft shows and even though i haven't done one in years like I still have my notebook of like okay this is how much I sold at this event so like I can gauge how much to make we have vendors that sell out on Saturday even though we prep them very well but like that doesn't bode well for us have an empty booth on Sunday so you know or some people are like going back to Portland to pick up more merchandise but I mean good that they can do that but like I can't go home and whip up a whole new booth in a night so you know I feel like doing a bunch of smaller shows to start with and there's so many out there like from churches and schools and street fairs and stuff like that and just get a bunch under your belt you know to like build up to a bigger event yeah there's such a huge learning curve like knowing how to talk to people as people come to your booth how do you reach out to them I know most of our community are introvert but this is your chance to actually shine and sell your product and show them how much you love making paper flowers and it's just really interesting to see people that do come in because there's a lot of people like there's I feel like there's three different types of shop. There's the viewers, there are the people that want to buy a gift and there's people that are looking for future gifts. And it's just like, how do you gauge them? How do you get the information about your items and be able to promote it in such a way that it'll keep in mind? And I've known that you've worked with a lot of vendors. What kind of examples have you seen people do like different displays that are more for like, buy my stuff now or think about buying my stuff for a future event? I mean, I've seen, I feel like the craft show scene changed in like 2008 because people lost their jobs and like kind of went for their passions. So 
it used to be like you threw a tablecloth down on the table and put your stuff on the table and called it good. And now there's people that basically build beautiful pop-up shops with rugs and plants in a changing room in a 10 by 10 booth space. That's where I also think doing more is better because you can like spice up your thing and see what works. I also think like when you do a lot of events, like there's people that have come up to me and they're like, oh, I really like this, but I wish it was like this. And I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. I never thought about that. Like come back next year. So, you know, you can get good ideas. You can see what people are willing to pay for your product, obviously. But I feel like, I mean, it's not to be said, you know, some people do just still throw a table, like tablecloth down and put their stuff up and sell well. I personally have like, in my mind, what works better for me in selling, like if I am sharing a booth with someone, which I tend to do, like I, when I've done an L shape where you have to like walk in to my booth, we don't sell as well. But like we did that one night, like for preview night and we we're like, why aren't we selling as much as we think we should be? And so then I'm like, we have to change this. <laughs> and so we like put it out in front, like at the front of the aisle and we immediately started selling better. Obviously we didn't do it that night, but like the next day that works for me. A lot of people do bed risers so that your tables are more at, you know, a height for seeing better. But it also depends on like what you're selling, you know, some, and I don't know if necessarily always the super fancy booths are the ones that sell per se better than someone else. There's a vendor, Bison Bookbinding and Letterpress. Their booth is beautiful and they build out, like they basically have a backstock area, which is insane to me. And it's, you know, wood. And, but it also takes them a long time. And like, if you don't have help, maybe you don't want to build that or you're going to be there until midnight and I'm not going to be there till midnight. So you better be done by seven o'clock. You know what I mean? So I feel like you have to like figure out your flow and what works for you and what works for your product. And that does take time. But I've seen so many different booths and I'm always still surprised at booths and how amazing they are. And I just feel like it's just some work better for some product and you know some are more simplified but still manage to work really well so I don't know if there's like if you do x y and z you'll have this perfect booth display it's different for everyone because I think this is your chance to get your personality and your product to shine Mm -hmm. and every product is going to be a little bit different I think my question is more like how do you know that you're ready to apply for a craft show I feel like Honestly, you just have to go for it. It's kind of like when people ask me, I really want to open a store. How do you know? And I'm like, you kind of have the cojones or you don't. There's no written rule about how to do something. And there's no written rule about when you are going to be ready. You either decide that you're ready and try. And it could be a flaming failure, but you'll learn something. There's so many shows I've flown like across the country for and it like pours rain or events like I no longer personally will do an event that is like kind of a part of another event like Maker Fair. To me, people are there to like geek out. They spent so much money to get in like that. No, you know, when I did it, I was like, okay, this doesn't work for me, you know, so but it might work for somebody else. But you have to like figure out when like if you have enough product. And again, I like just start small because it's a lower impact, you know, it's not probably the booth fees aren't going to be as high. Mm -hmm. You'll learn some things. You'll realize you need like a mailing list or you didn't bring a tablecloth or whatever it is. You'll talk to so many vendors and they'll tell you what shows are good. The craft community definitely talks and, you know, it's just your foot in the door. So I just, you know, 
as long as you have product and you're ready to go. And I think if you have like a good brand, because, you know, like if you're doing clip art, probably on a label printed at home, maybe you want to step up that game a little bit, but that might work for like a church sale, but, or like a school sale or something like that. For the bigger shows, I think branding really plays a part in even getting accepted. You just grow your fan base as you go. But I would just really highly recommend starting at the smaller scale. Mm-hmm. You were talking about investment. It totally makes sense that you may want to test out your market, invest what you not as much as the big as in the big shows, but what what on average would somebody, a vendor, let's say a paper florist who wants to apply to your show, what they have to invest either financially or time-wise in order to be successful? I would definitely do your research. Some people apply to our show. They've never been to our show. And they're like, I would do great at your show. And I'm like, you've never been like, how do you know? Mm -hmm. I do think it's good to like go out there and see the shows that you want to do because the bigger shows are a bigger investment. Obviously there's a higher booth fee. We get a lot of vendors saying like, could you make your summer show cheaper than your winter show? Cause we make less money. And I'm like, our fees go up every single time. We just don't add that to the booze fee every time. We spend a lot of money. So (laughs) we charge for that space. I think our show, like Urban Craft itself, the summer and winter show, in the grand scheme of things, were less expensive than a lot of bigger shows, but going to be like $350, $450, if not more, depending on what you want. So you have to make sure you have enough product for that and making sure you have a good display, which really shines your product. And those are usually costs that the vendors will invest themselves, right? Mm -hmm. And hopefully, I mean, a lot of people vend like at many places. So they'll like build these beautiful structures and stuff like that. But obviously it's something that they can take down and take with them to show to show. So I think that's where like having a tablecloth in your product, perhaps at the beginning and going to something like first Thursday, that's like $75 for the full day, then you get like, that's a lower investment, obviously. So there's a good chance you'll make your money back, you know, if you're all the cards align, starts mm-hmm. align. Um, that, but, and then maybe you do that for a while and you start making money and you're feeling good. And then you're like, okay, but I need to do X, Y, and Z to make my product really shine a little bit more. So then you might hire someone or you might build like a display that you can take down or get lighting or something like that. There's a lot of great battery operated lights now at Ikea and the hardware store that a lot of our vendors use. Can I ask, sorry, just I don't mean to interrupt because I know some other shows do charge you separately for for using electricity. Mm -hmm. Do you guys do the same thing or do they have to rent walls? Do they, I mean, this is just from what I know of some other shows that require you not only to pay for the cost of your space, like literally 10 by 10, but also the wall. And also whatever, you know, electricity you use or whatever internet or et cetera. So internet is added, like it's part of your booth fee. We don't charge extra for that. We do charge electricity. There's very few places to get electricity in the X Hall. So that's an additional fee. And then pipe and drape, if you want it, some people, the X Hall does rent it. And so some vendors end up renting that it's not very expensive at the X hall i feel like pipe and drape is kind of like old school and so when our vendors don't like we did the seattle gift show and like we had a section at that event and everything else is pipe and draped but our section and i just felt like our section looked 
way more fun and inviting because it wasn't like that old school style. But you can rent it. I think that the more costly stuff is like you want to get a banner, maybe, you know, that's going to be expensive. We get banners constantly because we're like rebranding and like doing more events. So we're like, (laughs) I don't know. I'm just like, oh my gosh, we're always like getting new banners. (laughs) Um, and that's expensive and then you know just like maybe a backdrop if you want a backdrop or like a wooden structure for like if you want cards there's so many good examples like from our vendors of like what you can and you know don't do but like and then like the changing room that's you know people have done it with pvc pipe and like curtains i've seen and then some people have more like handmade structures but that like maybe feel more solid. So it really depends like what you end up doing, which again, I mean, I guess I'm constantly saying it, but like starting small, you can like be more comfortable with just having a table and still managing to probably sell some stuff. I mean, you can still let Urban Craft, but it's just less of an investment, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm -hmm. How many vendors do you have at the winter versus this summer show? We have about the same, I would say like maybe 150 opposed to like 155, but it's Mm -hmm. kind of on average the same. It's amazing. Can you tell us like some of the examples of the vendors that you've had? I mean, we've had everything from like clothing, like to bath and body care to candles. It's really cool to see a lot of vendors become very successful like we've had herbivore botanicals. I feel like they're my good example if you know those guys, but they applied to our show one year and I like noticed them on Etsy and I was like, man, these guys came out of nowhere and are like really big sellers on Etsy and they applied to our show and I was like, wow, that's so cool. And realizing that they, oh, they live in Seattle. And then they ended up dropping out because their business blew up and then they now are gigantic and sell in Sephora and free people and like yeah. I don't know and that's like, amazing so amazing and then you like see them at the grocery store and you're like you guys are awesome like that's great <laughs> they started their first craft show with Urban Craft and then there's like Formulary 55 she's gotten really big it's really cool I was recently in Maine and saw Good and Well Supply Co they do candles and I love their branding so much and they were in L.L. Bean and yeah it's just been really cool to see the vendors and like what they've done or like Tuesday, she used, like, I saw her at the Fremont Sunday market and was like, oh, you should apply to Urban Craft. And she did the infinity scars at the time more, the cows. And then she went on her honeymoon to Bali and like her stuff changed dramatically. And now she does like more kimonos and robes and dresses and hand dyeing work. So it's been super cool to see like kind of follow their evolution and see how their work changes with like life changes. Do you create like specifically, um, I want, you know, 10 vendors that do this and 10 vendors that do that. And only that because I, I mean, it's some artists, I mean, we are paper florists, but some of us kind of dabble in other arts as well. If we were a paper florist was to apply, would we have to specifically state, Oh, these are the types of look or flowers that I want to, to sell. But I also have these items to sell as well. And they might be like botanical, like butterflies or something, or like big flowers as opposed to small flowers. And then would you curate that? 
as in, would you say to me, I only want you to sell these, these items because we've already got a vendor that sells these items. So it's kind of what we do. Like we sit as a team in front of my television screen for two days and go over applications. It's weird to say, but very true. Like the show kind of presents itself as we go. We always, for us, we try to get a 30% new vendor mark every time that definitely upsets old school vendors, but people want to see new stuff. So in that application, I tell people to try to be really focused. I think big flowers versus small flowers wouldn't be a thing for us because it's still in the paper and paper category. When it gets, if there's someone that like is more like an omni crafter, like they do paper crafts, but they do, maybe they make jam or something like that or make cookies, you know, then it's like, no, that's not going to work. Because we kind of say like, okay, we want like 20-ish jewelers or we, and we want to have every jewelry kind of be different or we want X amount of food or X amount of this. So like, for instance, one vendor, she makes bags and one year she came with like a whole wall of salt <laughs> that she also makes. And we're, I, it's like so unexpected. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, you can't have this wall of salt. And it's kind of, I mean, it sucks to have to tell someone to take like one third of their boot display down. But I'm like, you didn't apply with this. We have two other salt people, three is overkill. We're really protective of who's there and making sure everyone has... Friendly competition is fine, but like oversaturation is a different thing. So now we, you know, we have made those rules more obvious. So it's like a lot of vendors will, and bags, that's a great example. Like so many people, they make clothing and they want to make a bag and they like make art and they have their art on bags or like, there's so many tote bags and bags out there. And so it's like, it gets too much. So luckily now I think vendors are more likely to email us before a show. So a clothing person did recently just email me and say like, I started making these bags. Can I sell it? I'm like, no, I'm sorry. There's too much of that stuff already. So at least they know that that's a possibility, mm-hmm. you know, and then we do say it in our site or wherever that like, if you bring something that is not something you applied with, there is a strong chance we'll make you take it down or, you know, not have it at the show. So I think if you're still in the same vein as paper, even if it's butterflies versus like flowers or whatever, I don't think that would hurt you. And we do have a paper maker coming. She does paper flowers and then she makes kit. I think paper people are in a very unique position to have a stronger chance of getting in because we get oversaturated with a lot of stuff. I mean, I feel like the art category has gotten big. Like with when we started or I started, we almost, I think we one time debated taking out art category because no one applied in it. And now it's beat out jewelry, which is insane sometimes. So that category is huge. But in that, it's gigantic, like the range of work. But I just feel like we don't see as much like paper plant stuff. And obviously, like the plant world is huge. I do feel like you have a stronger possibility of getting in and, you know, the kits and stuff, like everyone wants to see kits at our event and we just don't have that many. But I feel like you get so inspired when you're there that you want to make something. So that's a huge need we always 
look for. I don't know. I just feel like there's less people applying in that category. I don't know how, you know, why exactly, but because I know there's more of you out there, but, or like if it's just not a good mat, like maybe craft shows isn't where you feel like works for you. I feel like we would be happy to see more of that category. Good to know. Do you hear that you guys (laughs) apply Apply for craft shows and bring your kids? (laughs) It's, it's It's actually a really interesting topic that within our community, we talk about all the time and learning from other people's experiences in craft shows, big ones and small ones, learning what type of investment they've had to put in, learning about the pitfalls, in, in some ways, pitfalls of designing your products a certain way, because even though we talk about paper flowers as if it's like a homogenous kind of category, it really isn't. Some people make stems, some people make arrangements, some people make things that go on the walls. And even those are things that as vendors, as paper florist vendors, we would have to consider because what I've heard, rumor has it, at the big shows in <laughs> Toronto is that people just want things to hang on their wall. Like they don't want to think. They don't want to like, if you get stems and they need to put a bouquet together, they don't want to do that because it's a lot of work. They want they don't know what they want until they see it. So mm-hmm. I've heard kits work really well. Anything that's essentially comprehensive, <laughs> so to speak, where it's like, oh, I like that and I'm just going to pay for it. I've heard those work, but I mean, it's a discussion we've had in our community like throughout throughout seasons and people have tried to share, you know, what seems to work for them and what doesn't. But it also seems like it's location-wise. It depends on, you know, where these shows are and how big they are, how small they are. And how receptive the customers mm-hmm, are. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting hearing from you. Your main recommendation is to, you know, start small. Well, and also like use it. I mean, so many vendors, like, I, I mean, I've done it myself, I'm sure, but like, just think about it as a financial thing. Like how much money am I going to make? And then you can see people, like I vended at a show, Crafty Bastards, many, many years ago. And I flew across the country for a one day event and with a friend and it started pouring immediately and continued to rain all day long. And it was miserable. And I was like shocked. I even made my booth feedback, quite honestly, but I, my friend who hasn't done as much bending herself, you, I could just see her like calculating and worrying mm-hmm. and, you know, and it also made her present herself probably differently. It's hard to be cheery when you're standing in pouring rain all day, yes. um, and you're not prepared for it. But if you could look at it too, as like a marketing thing. So like florists, like when I know you have done like wedding stuff. So if you came to the summer show, like maybe you don't make thousands and thousands of dollars because maybe your stuff doesn't fly off the shelf because it's not ready to like just take home and put on a wall or whatever. But you get people interested as a client to hire you for a wedding or we have tons of wholesale buyers coming through that from Chuhuli Museum and all kinds of stuff like REI, you know, whatever. And so you never know who you might work like meet that could become like this amazing client of yours that makes your booth fee seem like nothing Mm -hmm. in the end of the day. You know what I mean? So I think if people could try to change their perceptions a little bit about what they're getting out of it, because there's a lot more you get out of it than just that like investment. And I realize that's like not easy for everyone, you know, to do. But again, like the smaller shows, at least it's like a little bit less risky. And like, I mean, some of my best friends are from craft shows. And so it was worth it in that respect. So there's so much more you can gain out of it. And if you could like a tiny ad in a newspaper is $350, if not more now. And that's like for a week isn't targeted to people that enjoy handmade and support handmade and all of that stuff. So I try to even have looked back on all my 
craft show vending experiences and even the bad ones. And I always learned something from it and gained something from it. Yes, it was more stressful when I was 20 and had very little money, but like then I picked and choose accordingly based on my income. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I think there's I think so much. A point. I think it's a great yeah. point. I mean, it's just your perspective, right? Yeah. I mean, assuming that the cost of the investment isn't so great that you're bankrupt, it's a great opportunity to market yourself. And like you said, until you put yourself out there, you don't know who you're going to meet. And we have our own personal, ex- you know, personal experiences from that. You don't know who you're going to meet. You don't know who's going to walk by and be like, "Hey, I love that. I don't want to buy from you now, but I want to buy from you later." Or yeah. I want, or I want you to, you know do something for it, whatever it might be, you know, and make, or make friends, whatever it might be. Yeah. I mean, you can like make a bunch of stuff and spend up. Like, that's why I started craft show vending in the first place. I wanted to pay for craft supplies. I was like a craft making junkie and had a bunch of stuff in my house. Like I could keep it all for myself. Might as well try to like, and it feels good when someone likes your work, you know what I mean? Exactly. You don't get that experience when you're just sitting in your house Mm -hmm. making stuff. For sure. (laughs) Makers are introverts. I'm an introvert in a lot of ways myself. And I definitely need like, I do not get fired up and charged as much like with, I need to like lay down. You know, especially like after Urban Craft, I just can't even form a sentence. So I get it. But like putting yourself out there in that little challenge of like talking about your work and getting positive feedback is invaluable. And you'll never, it's like, you won't know until you try. Absolutely. I think that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Kristen. This uh, conversation was so invaluable okay. and I hope our listener enjoyed it too. Me too. It was really, really interesting. <laughs> no, it was in- extremely interesting hearing perspective of both a vendor and someone who organizes these craft show events. I think, yeah, what you've told us today has been really extremely helpful to a lot of our listeners. Oh, good. Yes, me too. <laughs> Yep. I'll see you next year. (laughs) Cool. Thank you so much. Okay. Talk to you later.